Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. Hello there. We have with us today Charles Mizrahi. He is a nearly 40-year veteran on Wall Street, the founder of Alpha Investor. He had a piece at religion, uh, Real Clear Religion uh, the other day that was entitled Prosperity and Generosity, the Biblical Roots of Capitalism. Uh, this is an issue today, and I thought we would have him on to explain uh, what, what his argument is. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Mizrahi. Oh, please call me Charles, and thanks so much for having me. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, this is a short piece, but as I said, it gets to a debate that really never seems to go away. The return of the critique of capitalism often in the name of socialism. And we've seen the rising popularity of socialism, especially among the young, the millennials. And it seems to happen, you know, whenever the American economy hits a, a downward cycle for whatever reason, your argument is we can go actually to biblical teaching and find capitalism amply warranted. Uh, before we get to your argument, let me ask you generally, in your experience, what do you attribute the, based on your experience, what do you attribute the current attraction to socialist leaning policies? Is there anything different this time as opposed to previous periods, say the 1930s during the depression or even in the 60s with the counterculture and their attractions to more communal socialistic statist forms of society. Is there anything different in 2020 that you see? Yeah, there definitely is. And that is the amount of uh, misinformation that many of these people protesting and demanding change are asking for. I think the major difference here is socialism is being glorified and looked at as a utopian economic system, and it, it's not, it fails. It, there's no place on planet Earth where it really works. Uh, the, when, when you have the state, first of all, I don't want to be a vassal of the state. And I believe a majority of Americans don't want to be vassals of the state. America is a land of opportunity. It's a land of freedom. And I have the ability to wake up every morning and do what I want and work where I want and live where I want. The, uh, this new movement, uh, if you will, is coming really from a place of misinformation. And I think the reason is the conservative viewpoints and uh, history, the way it was always learned, has been turned on its head in the past 30 years. 
And the conservative uh, people have been shouted down and shouted out of the universities. And what these students have learned over the past 30 years is the glorification of systems that have failed, uh, that communism is an alternative government. Meanwhile, it's an evil empire, as Ronald Reagan said. It caused the deaths of more than 100 million people in the 20th century, and it failed, and it failed. So why are we looking to institute something that goes totally against the, the fabric of this country, which was founded on Judeo-Christian values, that has worked, that has produced so much bounty in the world, that is the largest GDP in the world, that our people are, are well-fed and taken care of and, and produces companies like Amazon and Google and Facebook that can be started in a college dorm. Where else in the world is there opportunity like this? And the answer is nowhere. So why is this gaining momentum now? I have to, I have to believe it's simply because they're misinformed. You, you pinpoint the universities. As you were talking, I was thinking also, has popular culture, have movies, Hollywood movies, helped prime the younger population in particular for this? I mean, even going back to, remember uh, 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 Oliver Stone's film, Wall Street. Uh, do, you, do, do you find, has there been something of a propaganda, would you call it a propaganda campaign in popular culture against capitalism in some way? Well, you mentioned Wall Street. Wall Street came out in 1987. So we had a ways from there. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's that. I just think it really is. Um, we're in a situation here where we have a very, very vocal minority that is shouting the loudest. And the average American is looking at this and considering it silly. I just don't understand. There are so many holes in the argument of socialism. First of all, it failed. Where does it work? Where does it work? Number two, where does government really work well that you would be satisfied, and not only satisfied, happy with government to continue to tax you and increase taxation, spend on a whole bunch of silly things that uh, can't even balance a budget, and all of a sudden, now we're looking to government as the solution. And I want to ask all these other these people who are socialists who will believe in the socialist way. You want the government to do that. Say you have another Donald Trump. You wouldn't be happy with him doing that for you. That is government. But is it only governor? It's only government that you choose. So it's you got to figure it out here. It's either you're all in or you're all out. And I'm just not getting how it makes sense for someone to work hard, sacrifice, give their all, and risk it, and being told, sorry, you made money, you have wealth, you don't have to give it to those who don't have. Where does this make sense? Which planet does this make sense in? I have to give a little word to my, maybe my students who have absorbed the socialist message. You, you say socialism hasn't worked. Well, Charles, isn't that just because it's never really been tried? Well, well, explain to me then, what are we asking for? Specifically, what are we asking for? Are we asking for more government control? I, I don't understand. So, okay, so I challenge you. I challenge your students. Socialism, the way I understand it, is the redistribution of wealth and power to meet public needs. Okay? So really, a central government is going to do this. Somebody is going to tell me and tell every American what to do and control that. So give me an example 
of where it works in a perfect world. You know, uh, <laughs> you're going to get a long silence on that one there. Because it that doesn't, was... it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? What, what, why are we being having this conversation? We live in a country that has the largest GDP in the world, a country where someone could start a multi-billion dollar business out of their dorm room or out of their garage. Uh, I can wake up every, any morning and go into a supermarket and have 20 different varieties of ketchup. Uh, the rest of the world is worrying about feeding themselves, having adequate calories per day, uh, clean water, and sanitation. And what, what are we worried about? What is our concerns here? Our concerns here is for the person that, that doesn't work, I need to tax the rich even more, even though in New York City, for example, 1% of the population pays 40% of the taxes. And in California, half a percent pays 50% of the taxes. So we want to tax these people more, thinking that what they're going to do is just stay there and not leave. And, and that's going to give incentive for what? For, for people to work harder so they can give away more of their money to those who don't? How absurd is that? You begin with a quotation from Governor Andrew Cuomo at the 2020 Democratic National Convention. Here's what Governor Cuomo said, your quote. Our collective strength is exercised through government. It is, in effect, our immune system. Government matters and leadership matters. It determines whether we thrive or grow or whether we live or die. Now, when I read that, I thought, you know, he's not saying our collective strength is exercised through society. He doesn't use the word community. He doesn't use the word economy. He says government. That that actually seems to me a step beyond what we've heard in the past. Yes or no? It's ludicrous. You know, it's what Ronald Reagan said, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Government intervention into free markets simply doesn't work. It doesn't work. The free market finds ways to reward those who provide value and to destroy those who detract value. That's just the way it is. That's just that's 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 where our system is based on. And to think that the wealth is being hoarded, that's another that's another mistake that, that people just don't get. In 2010, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates got together and and came up with the giving pledge, which was basically the to sign a pledge to give away half your money to society upon your death. To date, 2019, at the end of 2019, they have pledges for $1.2 trillion. Number two, Americans are the most generous people on the face of the earth. So I believe it's close to 70% of all charity given was given by individuals. So now what do we want to say here? We want to say, A, the, we the wealthy aren't taxed enough, so we have to tax them more, even though that's not the case. We're saying that Americans, because they hoard wealth, wealthy, do not distribute it, uh, distributes a terrible word, do not give to society. That's not true. And the business person opening, a, a, taking a chance and risking their, their fortune and, and risking everything they have to open up a, a shoe store or a candy shop or, or a, coffee, a coffee place, whatever it might be, are taking a risk and employing other people from the community and giving them jobs and giving them dignity. So what do we want to do? What part of the system doesn't work that we want to trash at all? You regret not only the politicians, uh, the Democratic Party, advocating for socialism, but also, quote, God-fearing people. 
Did you have some specific examples in mind or just sort of generally the, the left wing, the left wing parts of the, of the churches? Well, I, I can't speak to any specific part. All I can say is when one looks at the Jewish Bible, the wealth was always considered a blessing from the Almighty. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon were all blessed with wealth. But with wealth comes responsibility, responsibility to take care of the underbelly of society. For example, I quote Deuteronomy 15, 11. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So the Bible understood there will always be economic inequality. How could there not be? How could there not be? You have people who are disabled, people who can't work, uh, people for whatever reason need to be provided for. You need to provide for them. You can't leave it to some institution. You can't leave it to a government. You personally need to provide for them. And what do the churches, synagogues, and mosques in our communities do? They provide soup kitchens. They provide social centers. They take care of all those loose ends that people fall through. Okay, so now we got that. And we look back to the Bible. The Bible basically put in a system in an agrarian society, which they lived in at the time, a system to catch and help the underbelly of society, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, which were the most vulnerable. Uh, for example, in Leviticus 19.9, the law of corners. When you have a field, a portion of your crop, you have to leave the corners of your field standing. They're for the poor. Uh, gleanings, when one was uh, reaping their, their, um, their grain and any, any gleanings that fell to the floor, you couldn't go back and retrieve them. That, once again, was for the widow, orphan, and the stranger. Uh, forgotten sheaves, there were about five or six laws right in the Bible telling you you have to take care of the poor, and here is the system. And that's just the minimum. That's just the minimum to take care of. So uh, to think that wealth for its own sake and to hoard was, was, the, was the objective, was the end game, is absolutely false. And we see it when billionaires get together in this country and have a giving pledge of $1.2 trillion, when the American people for the last 200 plus years have always been a generous and giving people. Uh, after World War I, Woodrow Wilson sends uh, Herbert Hoover to Europe to create an amazing system to feed the, 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 our enemies, our former enemies in Europe. Europe was laid to waste during World War I. So he, he sends Herbert Hoover there, who became a president much later, which most people don't even think about what Herbert Hoover did prior to. And he establishes the European Children's Fund, which provides food and relief for 15 million children across 14 countries. After World War II, we set up the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe and feed these people. The American people are the most generous people on the face of the earth. So tell me again, what's the problem with our system? Uh, well, and you also mentioned in your essay that God instructed the Israelites to create an agricultural system for the poor. Uh, is there any way to construe that as a government program? No, because it wasn't done by the state. It was done by the individual. You have a field. Your, 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 the law was that you had to do the corners of your field. You had to leave the corners of your field for the poor. What, we're saying the Bible is the government now instructing? Well, goodness has to be legislated because people on their own just are not good. Uh, most people aren't. And the Bible understood that. So you legislate goodness by enacting these type of laws that promote 
a better society. But it doesn't say you, all your land belongs to the state. How much you give belongs to the state. Absolutely not. The, you, you mentioned the Old Testament often uh, sees wealth as a sign of God's favor. Can we draw the implication then that God favors the economic system that produces the most wealth for, for people, for everybody? Well, I, I, I'm just going to turn that a bit and say, if you work hard and you labor, you will be successful or you won't be successful. There's a whole bunch of factors in there. But wealth is not a curse. Wealth is not something to be avoided. Wealth is something to be embraced. You know, this country is the only country on the planet that was founded on Judeo-Christian values. Our founding fathers got it and embedded it into the DNA of this country. And, and these weren't people who lived in an ivory tower, who taught in universities, who never had interactions and couldn't be fired because of tenure. These, these were people who were uh, farmers, merchants, businessmen, writers, physicians. Uh, uh, they came from wealthy families, many of them. Many of them lost their fortunes during the Revolutionary War. But they created a system that basically rewarded a person for the labor they put out and had government intervention and to be lightly felt, if at all. Remember, we don't have an income tax until the early 1900s. But I, I, just, I, just, I just don't get the other side of the coin. I just don't know what the alternative is. Give me an alternative if this system doesn't work well for you. We have 330 million people in this country. They're waiting online to get in. People are getting in rafts and rowboats and climbing walls and digging tunnels to get into this country. Why? Because it's the worst place on earth? Because it's a racist place on earth? Because our system is inequitable? This morning, I just happened to read the Wall Street Journal, uh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong was a refuge for Vietnamese and for other people in the Asian area to go to Hong Kong. Now, what, the, what are the Hong Kong people doing now, the Hong Kongers? They're leaving. They're leaving. Why are they leaving? Because China is coming in. And 12 people were caught on a raft illegally crossing the border. They're trying to go to Taiwan. And we haven't heard from them. There's no trace of what happened to these 12 Hong Kongers who, who, who are out there. I, I, I worry Taiwan is next. Yeah, but Taiwan is at least uh, you know, a little different, uh, much different than Hong Kong, uh, which uh, was just a matter of time. Uh, uh, you know, you, once you put the tiger or the dragon in the cage, it's not going to stay there. It, 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 that, that's, that's the kind of government that China has. The kind of government that that Russia has. These are these are not these are not democracies. These are countries that still retain communism or autocratic rule. So I ask, what is the alternative? And show me where it works. We have a we have a, a country where people are trying to get in. Why are they trying to get into our country? And other countries are seeing people flee. Why? Bill Bennett used to call it the Gates test. What would happen if you just raised the gates on all the borders in the entire world? Where would they go? And I, I, think, we, I think we know the answer. Well, we don't think we know it. We know the answer. We know the answer. What other countries trying to limit immigration to be illegal immigration and do it properly uh, uh, in the world? Where, where, why are they all coming here? Why are they all trying to come here? Why aren't they trying to bust into North Korea if it's such a great life? Or, or go to Russia or go to China? Why are they coming here? Because the United States has always been 
a land of opportunity. You, if someone once told me when you walk off the plane, I have recent immigrants, if you walk the plane, you could almost smell the freedom. Do you imagine that? It's palpable. Why is that so? Why is that so? Because we have a system of government in place that has worked and will continue to work. You, uh, you talk about the biblical teaching. What if Jeff Bezos picked up a Bible and started reading it very carefully and absorbed its teaching? What would the Bible tell Jeff Bezos to do some of the things to do with his money? Well, we wouldn't tell him to do anything with his money. It basically, it's to help those in the underbelly of society. That's about it. We wouldn't tell him to build hospitals. We wouldn't tell him to build orphanages. We wouldn't tell him to do any of that because it's implied. Make society a better place than you found it. That's, 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 you don't even have to read between the lines. The whole goal here is to create, make the world a better place uh, today than it was yesterday. And you, th you talk about uh, Bezos, for example. Here's a guy in 1994, 95, leaves his hedge fund, gets into a car with his wife, drives clear across the country to Seattle, and opens up a business to sell books on the internet from his garage. Two people, him and his wife, that's it. And he had a bunch of fund fundraisers, including his parents. So it was all angels giving him money at the time. And 26 years later, his company's worth 200, uh, he's worth $200 billion, the richest man in the world. He has a service that, uh, I wonder who doesn't use or why wouldn't they use it, especially during the pandemic. They were lifesavers by continuing to ship and deliver. But here's the point. One million Americans are employed because of one guy with an idea in a garage. Where else in the world do you see that? I, I like your idea that the Bible doesn't give you specific instructions about what to do with your money. And the implication would be, be wary of someone who comes along and tells you what to do with your money, commands you what to do with your money. And one point you make is that the danger of government programs, of seeing government programs as taking on that job of telling you what to do with your money is that it, quote, offloads the generosity and responsibility of an individual before God. It's sort of giving up responsibility for a quote faceless government. And when when I when I read that, I, I recall I think it was a few years ago. Someone asked Rosie O'Donnell how much to, she gives to charity, and she said, "What do you mean? I pay taxes." And I I thought, wait wait, the government is becoming a charitable industry. This seems to me to be a very misguided dangerous idea and it's also wrong you're not supposed to have the government do that the government's going look government in my opinion should be used sparingly like using salt to season a soup too much and you screw off the top and you put too much in there you just killed a good soup and you just wasted a whole bunch of salt it doesn't really work uh, government serves a tremendous tremendous function uh, fema uh, no one can mobilize like the government. No one has the resources to mobilize like the government. In times of calamity, we need we need government to help. Food stamps, a really important thing to get people on their feet so we don't have people sitting on street corners with extended stomachs and orange hair because of protein deficiencies like in third world countries. We don't have that here. We don't have that here. 
So government does serve a tremendous function in keeping us civil, keeping the big projects, the big, big, big deals that the individual, even institutions can't handle simply because they're not big enough and they don't have the, 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 the uh, wherewithal to do. So that is important. I'm not saying it's not. But go to the churches, the synagogues, the mosques, the social centers in communities throughout this country. No one commanded them. No one ordered them to create soup kitchens. No one told them to deliver food in packages uh, to, to poor people or shut-ins. During, during this pandemic with the shut-ins, I just know in, in, in neighborhoods around where I live, young kids were knocking on doors of old people, asking them, what, give me your shopping list so you don't have to leave the house. Did government command them to do that? The American people are a generous people because we have a land here of opportunity that has an equitable system of taxation whose rights by every individual are protected by the Constitution. We have a, a, a system of law which is second to no one in the world, and it works. You say Americans are the most generous people. Do you think that one reason is the deep biblical origins, the deep biblical identity of America in its, in its first centuries? I have to believe that because what else can you account what else can you account for for that kind of for generosity other than uh, it this country unlike any other country on earth was founded with judeo-christian values uh, where, where do we have wealthy people wealthy people who didn't need to take risks our founding fathers who were in their 30s and 40s who were very accomplished people very educated people they gave up everything in order to form a government that was just and moral and equitable and guaranteed people's rights. So you have that kind of, that's the ethos of the United States. That's why people, my grandparents went to the bottom of a ship in, in steerage and took two weeks across the Atlantic to get to this country in the early 1920s for the freedom that it offered. They weren't coming here for government handouts. Welfare and social security weren't invented till 1935. They were coming here because the, this country offered opportunity. Where, you ask, did they come up with this idea of, of being generous? I, I think because America is, is a melting pot. We took the best from throughout the world and they came to these shores and created the American citizen who, who understands what it is to help others. And, and keep in mind, when one has, that's the time you need to share. And the American people have shown that. So the person who started a business with just one person and grew to 10 people, he's now giving employment or she's giving employment to 10 families, giving, letting them live in dignity. And remember, remembering what that person was prior to starting a business. So you know what, what just jumps to my mind, which sent chills up and down my spine, was listening to uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina uh, last week. Here is a guy who is the American dream. He embodies the American dream. Here's a here is he he came to he he him and his brother his brothers were sons of a single mom. They lived with relatives, slept three to a bed, and Tim Scott went and got an education, went into business, ran for Congress in an overwhelmingly white district in Charleston, beat the field, including the son of former Senator Strom Thurmond, who was pretty racist back in the day. 
And when he was asked, how did a black man who started with nothing do that? You know what his response was? Because of the evolution of the Southern heart. So we have a country where the people can change. We have things on our books that we're not proud of, but we're a self-correcting government. We take mistakes and we write them. And, and, and just the most shocking thing, what it just sends chills up and down my spine, is Scott, T Tim Scott was the first African-American elected to both the U.S. House and the Senate. And he says his grandfather was a cotton picker. So our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. I challenge you and your students to find me any country on this planet that offers someone the opportunities that Tim Scott had and to rise as high as he did. And I'll wait. Now, you mentioned risk, and capitalism does indeed reward responsibility, but that does mean taking some risks as well. Is it risk that a lot of young socialists fear? You'd have to ask them. I, I can't get in their minds. Uh, look, we did, we, we did a great job, right? We left the universities to leftist and liberal ideas. We threw out all the conservatives for the past 30 years. So they were learning what a utopia the Soviet Union was. They were learning how Mao Zedong was a great leader. They were learning all of this. And they were learning how terrible the United States was from its founding. So maybe that could have done something for the past 30 years, and now we're paying the price with what we're hearing now? Perhaps. I don't know. I can't think for them. All I can do is just look at the facts and look at where I'm standing now and saying, okay, you have a better system. I'm listening. But for the time being, we keep this going because it works and it works well. Were you surprised that elements in the Democratic Party have wanted to remove God from any statement, any platform? No, it's a natural progression of things. It's just that if you keep along those, those thought lines, you know, look, uh, prior to the prior to to communism, uh, the Russian people were religious people. They were God-fearing people. Russian Orthodox Church was big, and after when you just replace God with the state, you start worshiping the state. So am I surprised? Nah. Uh, final question, Charles. Do you think that we now or in the near future are going to reach a point where a socialist platform on the national stage is going to be a political winner. No, I, I don't. This isn't going to work T today. No way. No, it's not going to work. It won't work because this will end up in the dustbin of history because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Show me where it works. Just I keep challenging you to tell me and not you, but uh, anyway, show me where this system of government works, where the government tells people how much they can make, how much they can have, how much they have to give to others, control every aspect of their life. Tell me where it works. The Soviet Union was a colossal failure. It fell. It fell. Tell me where it works. Or tell me where uh, Cuba. Bernie Sanders it talks about Cuba. Uh, Mayor de Blasio of New York went to Cuba. Tell, tell, me, tell me where it works so well there. Those people are, are getting on a, a little boats that, that enrich their lives to, to come to Florida, to come to America. Why are they doing that if it's such a great utopia? Where does this work? I keep asking, where does it work? And I get silence. I just get different ideas of how to make it better or, or to destroy capitalism. I tell you what, 
before you take your foot off first base to get to second base, you better make sure you're not going to be thrown out. So before we're so quick to junk our system for this system that is just pie in the sky, that doesn't have a good track record in the least, uh, and, and get rid of a system which is one of the highest standing li standard livings, standard of livings on planet Earth, where the people are well-fed, where those who don't have are offered government assistance and and people in the community to help them. And we don't have starving people in our streets. And everyone has the opportunity to go from zero to hero in a lifetime. If you want to replace that, you better give me a good track record of where it works and how well it's working, because I'd like to go there. But for the time being, we are the best place on planet Earth to be. Charles Mizrahi, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.